My name is William Reardon. I am the chair of the Urban Land Institute's Young Leaders Program in Europe, and I'm delighted to be hosting the behind-the-scenes bonus episode of our new Real Estate Vanguard podcast. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to witness the making of this podcast series from inception through to the final episode, and I would like to start off by saying a massive thank you to the wonderful host of the series, Andrea Carpenter of Diversity Talks Real Estate. Andrea took us on a journey for these past 10 episodes, uncovering wisdom from a group of outstanding contributors to the built environment and our industry, or the new real estate vanguard as we have called them. In today's episode, I will ask Andrea for her thoughts and impressions looking back on the series and how optimistic she is feeling for the future of the industry. But first, I wanted to take advantage of having the mic, as they say, to share a little bit about the Urban Land Institute, uh, or better known as the ULI, and our Young Leaders Program. For those of you who are not familiar with the ULI, the organization brings together real estate and land use experts from around the world with the mission to shape the future of the built environment and to make transformative impact in communities. The young leaders within the ULI represent all of those members up to 35 years of age with a mission to provide a unique forum for the industry leaders of tomorrow to engage with the leaders of today and to connect local expertise with global knowledge across the entire spectrum of real estate disciplines. I'm delighted to say that the young leaders make up a significant and growing portion of the total membership of the ULI, and our ranks have grown substantially throughout the pandemic, indicating the need for this organization to share knowledge and to stay connected. Now, on to the fun stuff. Firstly, Andrea, enormous thanks uh, to you from myself and all of us at the young leaders at the ULI. Uh, it's been wonderful uh, to listen to you uh, over the past year uh, through a rapidly changing environment. So to kick it off, what was your most memorable moment of the podcast? Well, first, thank you so much for asking me to host these. I think it's been such a, an interesting and diverse range of people and ideas that I've learned about. So I've been so incredibly fortunate to do that. So thank you. I think my most memorable moment, I think, is really um, in as Miro Sands who runs Hotel Casa Bonne. We, we learned about her very creative and community-led approach um, in terms of hotel and hospitality. And I think when we recorded that, we were still fairly locked down here in the UK. You know, obviously every country had had its um, challenges. And so I suppose I was expecting something devastating. You know, this was the hospitality industry. This is going to be a difficult podcast listening to businesses trying to survive and adapt. But I think instead I got a very simple story of um, community and resilience. The fact that when they built that hotel, they were so mindful to be a place for local people. The actual fact, the fact that they didn't have guests obviously affected their income, but they still managed to be a vibrant central place for the community during during the lockdown or during the, the easing of those lockdowns. And I think if I remember correctly, she said that Barcelona had a curfew of 9pm and of course anyone in Spain would be ridiculed for having dinner before 9pm. So the fact that they had a restaurant and they converted it to be just a place to be evening, early evening wine and snacks was just also interesting culturally because we'd all bedded down with our tea at six o'clock and gone home, I think. I think that's great to hear, Andrea, because um, the theme of community came out throughout all of these episodes, actually. And when one thinks of real estate, one normally thinks about you know just buildings, but actually 
the the real estate industry is the people that make up those buildings and uh, to hear that from the operators of a business like Casa Bonet, from Ines herself who set it up, uh, and from others throughout the series was really, really important. And I think if you look at the demographic change as well, um, how people use buildings is all about human engagement, human centricity, um, and that is really the future of our industry. And so we are hearing that. Um, other than that theme of community and Ines, was there anything that really surprised you from the podcast series? I think it's always, you know, dealing with kind of young people in early in their stage in their careers about just actually how impressed and in awe I am of kind of some of their confidence to convince people to back their ideas at such a young age. I mean, simplifying Jonathan's story, he effectively was doing a traditional job and turned around to those around him and said, oh, would you give me some money to start a business? And, you know, that's got to, to very much be admired. And um, Reza Merchant, you know, came out of business school, not really having had any work experience and then you know a few years later he has raised a huge amount of money for something that is you know really transforming part of the residential sector so I think there is that that conviction and tenacity was like really interesting I think to still hear that coming through. I love it. Communities and conviction, the, the two C's of real estate so far. Mm. So I hope I hope that I know the answer to this question, but uh, I have to ask it. Um, did these conversations fill you with hope for the future? Were you concerned about anything? Was there any warning signs to look out for? Or are you feeling generally optimistic? I think I'm feeling generally optimistic and I, I definitely hope for, you know, the the leaning towards sustainability. As you say, the idea of just it being so natural to think of the community and things like that. When I started in this industry, we called occupiers end users, you know, as though they had no soul at all. So the idea that actually everyone is really building uh, businesses and buildings themselves around people and around how they work and how they want to live is always encouraging, I think. Yeah, they say this is the era of the merging of the Propco and the Opco, because not only can you create much better product if you align the, the interest of the, the building owner with the, the business operator, but also, fortunately, it tends to be uh, more economically profitable as well. Do you see that as a, as a sustainable trend um, going forward, or do you think it's uh, something that is uh, just for this generation in the moment of the, the current zeitgeist? Well, I think it has to be um, a sustainable trend, I think, for now. If I think about what um, Franz was doing in terms of the retail side and, you know, that very different business model to try and kind of engage, you know, online retails in a physical environment. We need different business models and we need kind of um, that merging of that Propco and Opco. And, you know, we've seen the traditional parts of the industry adapt to that much more operational real estate and that, you know, has new, needs new business models and new ideas because this is not going to be done by the same people. You know, co-working places, co-living places need to be run by people who have hospitality experience. You know, that's a very different kind of group of people bringing into the industry. So I think I'm just hopeful that there are young people with those ideas. You know, you know, Franz has come with an idea that took me a while to click even. You know, the, fi the, the fact that he's thinking so differently is very hopeful. And I think that will be that next generation that we see. Yeah, it's, it's interesting watching people like Franz because he came from a more traditional real estate background at Tishman, 
um, and then is is in a business that many wouldn't even consider real estate, but it is an end user of spaces. And mm -hmm. it's important, I think, to have a holistic consideration of all of the end users of spaces because they do touch the built environment. They are part of the built environment, and thus they are part of our industry, uh, the property industry. Um, so absolutely, it was exciting to see, to hear um, the diversity of the people that were selected and the industries that they were in. Uh, on that topic, what, what to you were the most relevant themes that came out to the current zeitgeist? Um, and what, what, what themes came out that maybe aren't so important now, but might be more important in the future? Well, I think the most relevant one was Tanya really talking about diversity. Um, it's really at the top of the agenda so much more for companies day to day. And I think it was just really interesting to hear how Tanya and you know others from her part of the sector, whether that's uh, fellow executive search and recruitment agencies and things like that, are really driving that forward. And I think what was so interesting about interviewing her is it's not a perspective we hear from enough. You know, we think of them as obviously facilitating new people coming in the industry, but they are effectively driving practical change every single day. So I was really it was really great to kind of have Tanya here and she articulated everything so brilliantly about how how the industry was doing that, and what it needed to do. I think something that is emerging quickly, um, but I think will be more important in the future is what Alice Lamb was talking about in terms of um, social impact in the industry. The fact that Land Aid, the charity where she's a deputy CEO, is evolving from being about you know, engaging almost arm's length with companies who give them money to make them feel better about themselves to actually wanting partnerships and collaboration and really responding to the need for companies to be super responsible, super purposeful in what they do. And I think, you know, the work that she does is really going to just continue to become more and more relevant because it's just something that we're digging into now across the industry. I like that the merging of profit and purpose is definitely becoming mm. um, a lot more important these days. I, I'm seeing a theme here, which is the merging of different uh, previously, you know, so siloed parts of the industry, whether it's profit, whether it's purpose, whether it's, you know, traditional property owners, whether it's property users. But I think you hit on something really important when you were talking about Tanya, which is um, it's not just about the people who are using the space. It's about the people who are leading the creation of the space and making sure there is that diversity and that representation. Yeah. And I know it's something that's very, um, very close to you as well um, in, your, in your own business of Diversity Talks Real Estate. Mm -hmm. Um, so can you speak a little bit more about that and, and how it's impacted you and, and how that connected into the, the podcast? Yeah, I think more and more, I mean, um, Diversity Talks Real Estate started as Women Talk Real Estate. We've just rebranded and what we do is a very practical tool to just try and give more women visibility by making sure that they're included in event programs and asked to be on stage and, you know, be part of the conversation because we're part of the industry and, we, you know, we might be a smaller proportion, but there's a lot of expertise there. And so when we saw that practical tool be so successful for women, we thought we just thought, why don't we extend its remit? So we've just done that. And we're now inviting professionals of all genders from um, ethnic minority backgrounds to join the database. But also, if you represent an underrepresented group, come to us. We want you to be part of us and we want you to harness the platform to increase the visibility and represent yourself in the industry. And with that, I think... It, it really it really struck us that our mission needed to change as an organization we were about giving women visibility because it was important for their careers and their progress and that is definitely still the case but when we think about more diversity we think about you know we can't as an industry face our customers who are very diverse the communities we work in without being diverse ourselves you know there's no way that you can you know 
gather up and engage with them and understand what they want if you only represent one type of group. So it has become, as we become more socially aware, more rounded as an industry and want to get that right, then we just so much more kind of need, you know, need a diverse range of voices. And something what we talked about earlier of kind of the merging of things, you know, technology coming in, we don't have many technology experts. So I'm hoping that when we go and get them, that's one avenue where we can bring more diverse people in as well, because, you know, it's not the usual track that we have for many of the people that come in the industry. So I think, you know, what many of the people we've spoke to are doing is also going to be opening up opportunities for that, for us to get it much better and to get it right. I love one of the words that you used, uh, which I haven't heard used that often, which is visibility. Visibility is not only about the optics of seeing more a more diverse crowd, but it's making sure that there's visibility of new ideas and different ideas and and that we take that these different components into consideration. Um, and that brings me to one of the topics that was discussed quite a bit throughout the series, which is the idea of mentorship. Um, and mentorship itself is uh, not only about creating great relationships and creating educational opportunities, uh, but it is also about visibility. You know, how do you identify young talent? How do you um, ensure that they are given the visibility that 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 they deserve? Uh, and how do you ensure that um, that these ideas that they're producing are also given visibility? And can you can you speak a little bit about that and how it's changed over the last few decades? It's changed dramatically because I I never had a mentor. It was never a concept that we had. It didn't mean I didn't have great people who supported me and helped me through the career my career and helped me learn my craft my trade. I was a journalist to begin with, but you know there wasn't that cross generational support of a more kind of softer and encouraging level. Do you know what I mean? You know people would help you to help you get your job done, but. And I've noticed now that that would have been really helpful. And I noticed that from other women that I work with in the industry, because when we put a mentoring program together during the lockdown, so many women signed up. And I think that's because women of my generation recognise how useful that would have been to have an ally, to have someone on your side. So I think, you know, so I think it's become much more important. And, you know, I did. So when I started in property journalism, Peter Bill, who is former editor of Estates Gazette, still writing on the topic, you know, he gave me work experience, gave me my first job, then later on poached me to kind of be editor of Europropty magazine, which was kind of a big changing point for me in my career. So there definitely are people who have supported me. But I suppose, I think for my generation as well, I look at the kind of strong working relationships that I formed with people that are also often contemporaries, but have helped me along the way. And in a way, that's, a, I suppose, a form of mentoring that we wouldn't talk about it. Lizette Van Dorn, who's the um, CEO of ULI Europe, we've worked together in three different organisations, you know, so having strong working relationships like that have also been beneficial, I hope, to, to both of us. So, you know, I really like the idea that actually that becomes more formal for young people, that the idea that they can find a mentor and that's a natural thing to do and also the other way around I mean you know there's so much change and we've seen that and heard that from the interviews I need a young mentee to or you know to also tell me what's going on and how they see things because I think it, it there is a real generational shift around how we how this industry works. Yeah, absolutely. I think I can I can relate from a personal standpoint as well. I graduated in, in 2009, which was the height of um, the recession at the time, and it was very challenging to um, to find a job in real estate. And I was very passionate about real estate, but um, somebody at the end of the day took a chance on me and identified some talent 
Um, so I think that mentorship is is more complex than many people realize. It's identifying talent, but then it's also ensuring that that you're providing the support mm-hmm. and additional knowledge that that they lack. And it's interesting listening to this podcast because we have both a group of people who had strong mentors and referred to to that, and then we had a group of people who really jumped in uh, and started the the started driving businesses with with limited. Um, you know, upward oversight um, and just got going essentially. So it's clear that that both models work, but um, the power of mentorship and the addition that it gives um, uh, is 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 undoubtedly very very important. I think mentorship is also sometimes about recognizing uh, what recognizing and acknowledging what the young talent doesn't have because I think and I know this from my own when I was a 22 year old I was pretty certain I knew everything and now realize um, a bit a few years on that I that I know probably less than I than I realize but it's also about in a in a in a um, supporting way um, offering guidance to to people and I think that there seems to be and I'd love your comments on it there seems to be uh, more of an acceptance in the industry from uh, from both um, the younger age groups and the older age groups that this is something that should that should that that we should be a part of. Yeah, and I think now we're changing our working patterns. Now we are going to be seen to, seemingly. You're hearing many more companies are going back to three days a week. You know that that's challenging if you go into a new company and you don't. You know you're in the wrong two or three days than your boss or many of your team. And you know I think there's going to have to be a more formal way of mentoring and making sure that you know the older generations make sure the younger generations do have that tacit learning and that understanding of how an office works and know that there's this support there because you know visibility as I said is very important you know and you've got to be seen to be in the office and if you're not there well you miss out on the opportunities so I think just as an organizational change we're going to have to think about how we you know how we support young people in the in the office environment. Absolutely. That's a great point, particularly relevant to the past 18 months. Exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, whilst we're on major uh, thematic changes, I'd like to move to ESG uh, as it was another common theme, you know, with, with Adam looking at uh, sustainable supply chain solutions, Jonathan commenting on green credentials and real estate sales, and Marion pointing out that many positive externalities of a greener Paris, uh, which was fun to listen to. Uh, in your opinion, are today's young leaders showing that these topics are being taken sufficiently seriously? And I hope that I know the answer to this one. <laughs> Absolutely. It's an absolute yes. And it's not about the fact that they take it seriously. They just take it in the course of business. You know, it's not a thing on the side. I remember when technology started to come in, I saw a speaker who said that the existing generation, when it comes to technology, we need to put like... Um, you know, a scuba mask on and goggles because we're diving into something we don't know about. But the next generation with digital natives, they kind of almost grown up with gills. And I think that is the way of ESG. You know, we're all thinking we've got to incorporate these things, whereas young people just think it's just part of business. And um, Ronan worked on the ULI Heinz student competition in the last couple of years. And I'm always so heartened by how many of the projects that they bring forward you know, ESG is at the centre of it, whether it's a massive urban farm on top of these buildings or, where, you know, and, you know, we kind of give them the financial model. And if they flick the switch to, you know, bring in sustainable measures, it adds like another 20% onto costs or something like that. But, that, you know, that that's just automatic. That just has to be worked around. So I think it's not about being serious. It's about the fact that it's, it's just how it is. It's a natural course of business. And I think we need those people to be coming in and making sure that they're influencing that in their companies. 
I think the industry is doing a, a much better job on environmental side of ESG at the moment now and, and is getting to grips with the social side. So I'm positive overall, but I think just that young, natural, native ability to think that ESG is important is, is you know, is key to everything. One of the uh, biggest initiatives that the young leaders is starting to work on right now is uh, is entitled, uh, perhaps somewhat grandiosely, uh, Bridge the Gap, uh, because we recognize, as have many in the industry, that there is a gap between um, our capabilities within the sustainability sector right now um, and our targets as to where we want to get to, um, particularly as they are related to carbon. Um, and so we're trying to investigate what tools we have at our disposal right now uh, to improve the situation and what tools we'll need to create. Um, do you feel like this young generation is equipped to, to solve that gap? Because right now it is a gap that doesn't have a solution. Um, and is there anything from the podcast series that, that, that stuck out to you as something that uh, is particularly relevant in addressing this gap? I think for me, the gap is where the technology is going to support. And you know, if you look at the culture of what many of these entrepreneurs are about, it's about the startup culture and finding your market and building and growing. That just needs to be accelerated. You know, we almost need an industry that's willing to kind of back and embrace the right solutions much more quickly. You know, work together. There's a market there for innovation. But if we wait the natural course of businesses to grow, it will take too long. So I would hope that your bridging the gap can also look at what technology advances are out there and you know, bring, you know, highlight, you know, some of those good ideas and hope that the industry will start to kind of think about adopting them quicker because it's, you know, it's obviously not totally, technology is not the only solution. They need to do a lot of work on their portfolios as well. But I think it's going to help bridge the gap a bit as well. Absolutely. So in terms of other learnings from this series, um, I have used the Invisible Women uh, examples and conversations since listening to Tanya, uh, but I haven't actually yet gotten around to reading it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, have you listened to any podcasts or read any of the books after re receiving the recommendations in this series? Well, Tanya very kindly gave me a copy of the <laughs> book, so um, and I started it last night just to be able to say I started it, <laughs> else I feel like a very bad feminist. It's such a fantastic idea for a book, you know, looking at kind of how you know, the world doesn't, you know, is kind of skewed towards men rather than women in terms of, um, it, you know, whether your phones are so big that they don't fit in women's hands and things like that. And yeah, um, I think Adam suggested um, Shoe Dog, I think, by Phil Knight, which is the um, story of the guy behind Nike. And I was like, ooh, that sounds interesting. I'd, I'd like to, to listen to that or sort of to read that even. Um, but I think actually I thought I wanted to add my own suggestions. I actually like it when business goes a bit too far and tips over the edge into kind of hubris, ego, power grabbing and even delusion to a certain extent. I'm in the middle of The Cult of We by Elliot Brown and Maureen Farrell, which is the story of WeWork, you know, and it's the second book that I've, re I've read on WeWork. And if there's 10 more in the pipeline, I'll probably read all of them because I think it's fascinating kind of how sometimes businesses you know just sort of don't see what's happening to in front of them i'd actually um recommend another book called the spider network as well by david enrich or enrich and this will show you how much i'm into business books this is about the libor rate scandal so it's essentially a book about interest rate benchmarks but i have to tell you it's a thriller and it's unput downable. So if that, you know, if I wanted to add to some of those, there's a few more for you. I'm a massive business book fan. So um, I was delighted to get a few more ideas from from our kind of interviewees as well. 
I can see you like a bit of scandal in your business books, a little bit of excitement. Um, <laughs> and amidst all of this, all of this uh, positivity uh, from this podcast series, there are obviously situations like WeWork that come out. Uh, and there will continue to be the WeWorks of the future. And mm. uh, despite generally a, a focus more towards doing good and, and, and profit and purpose uh, in the millennial generation, and even more so in Generation uh, Z, do you think that uh, the WeWorks of the world are an, an outlier? Um, or do you see people taking advantage of the, the natural um, optimism of, of this generation and the generations to come and, and their desire to, to solve a lot of these problems? I think it's evolution. I think, you know, I um I grew up in the industry in a period of financial innovation. You know, so, you know, defending the young of my time, we were very innovative as an organization. You know, the industry that they have today was essentially built by people of the age that we're talking to in those interviews. And, you know, the European fund management market was started from scratch really by, you know, a group of young generation. But as you know, that ended up kind of in the sticky position in the financial crash. And, you know, but there was giddiness and excitement and it all felt like this was the way forward. And then the crash came and, and you know, it taught the industry about who they were actually were. They needed to go back to basics, needed to go back to being good property people rather than financial people. So I think my point there is that, you know, an industry in its innovation always overreaches. And I think it's um, companies have to do it. They have to go through that. I'm surprised... I mean, I think it's interesting that COVID sort of actually did challenge that innovation, right? It really, if you think about the crash that was at the heart of, you know, uh, financial innovation, COVID hit at the heart of operational real estate. So this poor industry always gets kind of a, you know, a punch in the stomach every time it it tries to, to innovate. So I think it has to be seen as evolution. I think, you know, there's bound to be fallout from how much venture capital goes into prop tech and things like that. But, you know, it's a survival of the fittest. And I think that's where things like WeWork and that's it. You know, they can innovate, but can they, you know, they're, they're still around. They're doing, you know, they're back on their feet. They've had their challenges with their founder. But, you know, I think it's about how companies adapt to that and, you know, whether they have the, you know, the the resilience to kind of make the model work you know and the thing i think about co-work co-working is that now every single major property company has a co-working arm so you know you've got to be quick and you've got to innovate well and you know have they have the resources behind them so i think we should encourage the innovation i don't think they're outliers but i, I think you know you always look for obvious risks and i think you know how much money is going into prop tech might be an obvious risk in that sense but other than that, I'm well, not much of a like, I'm not much of a crystal ball gazer in terms. If I'd predicted the crisis, you know, I wouldn't be sat here that sort of thing. Well, there's there's innovation and then there's entrepreneurship, and it's interesting mm. the interplay between both of them in the real estate industry. Uh, traditionally, the real estate industry has been a more challenging one for entrepreneurs because of the high barriers to entry. I mean, buying a building is much more expensive than uh, starting a, a, a you know a Shopify store online. Um, and so because of that, a lot of the innovation has come from the larger institutions. Uh, fortunately, we've had uh, quite a few entrepreneurs on our, our podcast series. Um, but interestingly, um, it still seems like the industry is a challenge to find um, a next generation of entrepreneurs who is able to successfully fundraise for, for concepts that um, require, quite frankly, a lot of, a lot of capital. Um, when you look at uh, the generation that you grew up with and, and your peers and you look at today's generation, do you see 
Um, are you optimistic about um, easier access to capital for for the younger generation? Do you feel like um, it's it's basically the same? Or, and do you see any new tools out there that um, mm. that entrepreneurs can can get access to? I feel it's much more part of the culture, the startup culture. You know, there's much more acceptance of entrepreneurialism and young people having good ideas that can take off. I think, you know, when I look back to the young people that really innovated well, you know, when I was a young journalist, you know, they were on behalf of companies going to outposts and building businesses or they were, you know, building quite traditional businesses, um, as you say, with property and, and building that up and they become established companies. So I just don't think there was that you could be an entrepreneur, but it was about property, whereas now at the moment it's about ideas. I mean, the guys behind WeWork would have said they were a tech company, right? But we would have said they're a real estate company. And so the idea that, um, you know, the experts come from outside the industry and look at us, I think is very different. I think now we're seen as a massive industry that needs disrupting. So the, you know, that actually entrepreneurism is going to come from maybe outside the industry, maybe. And I think in my era, it was more inside the industry. Well, I think that takes us back to one of our earliest themes, which is the merging of many, many ideas, many, many industries, and the built environment itself becoming much broader uh, and and hopefully more inclusive. Uh, what truly is the built environment today? I mean, it's made up of so many different people, so many different ideas. I mean, the fact that we featured uh, an online to offline, you know, retail concept that was an, a purely an occupier, uh, coming from a guy who who's um, who has a background in one of the the most prestigious. Um, traditional real estate firms, I think is indicative of the fact that uh, that really, hopefully you can do do anything and, and call it property um, or do something that traditionally would be considered property like office space and call it tech. Um, so that gives me that gives me a bit of hope um, for those young entrepreneurs out there who are um, who, who have the gift of gab, <laughs> at least, and can build, yeah. a, build a story and a narrative. I think the value chain's longer now, right? You know, we used to kind of provide the building and expect people to use it, but I think that's now been extended to how they feel about the building, their experiences in the building, and how they use it. And I don't, I think that's gonna, I don't, I think that's not gonna change, because I think we need businesses, I think it's about outlook as well. You know, we have many more business now who have a longer term investment horizon for what they do in a longer term vision. And that's enabled us to do much better things as an industry. The the period I talked about around the financial, we were very short termist. There was a lot of kind of momentum to, you know, cash out and sell on and things like that. And that wasn't good for community. And I think now we're much more rounded about what we do. We've kind of, the you know, the our corners have been rounded off a little bit and we have we understand that to have value and have success and resilience you've got to have a long-term investor vision and i think that then plays into every part of the business and every part has to make it work so you feel much more connected to how your occupiers are yeah absolutely although there is one moment in inez's podcast that you that uh, that you mentioned at the beginning of our chat which is uh, essentially she said if she hadn't had an older gentleman alongside her uh, she didn't feel like she would have ever had any chance of success. And so, um, firstly, thanks to to all of the young people in real estate, to that older gentleman, whoever whoever he is, yeah. for you know standing by her and standing by that concept and being willing to uh, to stick his neck out um, and support it. Um, but also, I think it's about um, perhaps uh, changing the um, changing the paradigm a little bit and figuring out how we can move beyond that. But it sounds like, from your perspective, we're well on our way, which is which is exciting. Yeah, I remember that story made me feel a bit sad that you know we still have that. But I think if I think about getting women talk real estate off the ground, you know, we've needed industry sponsorship, and 
know the CEOs are mostly men and you know and I, I think we just got to remember that we are working together on this so actually kind of that generation of CEOs really backed us and supported us and gave us sponsorship they are allies to us in the same way that that gentleman was an ally to Innes and you know while you know, in a way, let's just make it happen, right? If we can work it, to, you know, it it worked for her. She's got it off the ground and she's doing a great job. And, you know, it's in a way slightly a process we have to go to to kind of prove ourselves. But, you know, it's a shame we have to take those steps. But I, I think, you know, having that hotel and having her successful business has shown that, you know, she just had a good champion and a good ally, a sponsor and mentor. Let's look at it that way. <laughs> <laughs> a few great themes that are coming mm. out here. Um, thank you so much again, Andrea. It's been an absolute pleasure to work with you on this and to listen to um, all of these great conversations that you've had. Uh, my final question is, um, after COVID and the last 18 months, uh, obviously very challenging times and having to interview these 10 people and keep it entertaining and interesting, um, are you planning to go on one of Ray's Costa Rican retreats? Well, um, post-pandemic, I think I might feel quite lucky to get to Costa Coffee, actually, rather than Costa Rica. <laughs> so I think I did look it up. It is on the red list at the moment. So I think my um, I might mess up my Zen state if I have to come back and spend £2,500 to, to be in a, a quarantine in an airport hotel. So I think I'm going to end maybe head to Innes' Hotel Casa Bonnet instead and uh, in Barcelona and hang out with the locals. It sounds like it's the place to be. That sounds wonderful. Well, thank you again, um, and on to the next great things. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. To find out more about the other episodes of this series, go to the Young Leaders page on the ULI Europe website. Bye.